Do you enjoy our podcasts? Help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org. You'll find some great merch there, and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of Another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word one verse at a time. Did you know that the transfiguration of Jesus was one of the most important events in his ministry? Matthew 17.2 says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. When we think about the ministry of Jesus, we often think about things like miracles and healing and teaching and, of course, the cross, the grave, the resurrection, the ascension. But what about the transfiguration? And what does that word even mean? Well, at the very baseline, transfiguration means for someone's figure, appearance, the way you see them, to change to be transformed into some other form other than the one you are used to seeing. And in the case of Jesus, that is exactly what the transfiguration means. Now, of course, Christian doctrine says that Jesus was fully God and fully man. In other words, he possessed two natures, which makes him distinctly unique from every other human being in the world ever in history. Because human beings possess one nature, we are human by nature. We are not anything else. We are made to be and can only be human. But Jesus, despite being human, differed from every other human ever born in this one aspect, that he was also fully divine. He was God himself in human flesh. And from the time that Jesus was born until that moment on the mountaintop where he changed form, where he was transfigured into his divine image, Jesus did not reveal that part of his nature. Jesus did things that indicated that he had a divine nature. These would have been his incredible displays of power, particularly his miraculous power of controlling things like demonic powers, weather, sickness, and so on. But Jesus had never actively displayed his divine nature. No one had ever seen him as divine. In fact, a quick look through the pages of the Old Testament teaches us a simple fact that no one can see God and live. And we see in places even where God gave great visions to prophets of his or great godly men that when they saw images of the divine glory, they were immediately transformed. Often they fell down helpless or fainted or were put into a deep sleep by God so that his presence would not destroy them, his holiness would not lash out at their sinfulness. Perhaps one of the greatest stories about man being struck down by the presence of God is the story of Uzzah that is found in 2 Samuel 6. Now there's some very interesting background to this story. King David was moving the Ark of the Covenant from one place to another, 
And he made a mistake. He didn't follow the commands that God had given Israel for moving the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be carried by the priests on two poles that went through loops on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. And the priests were supposed to carry it from one place to another. That was the prescribed method of transport that God had made and commanded the children of Israel to use when they moved the Ark of the Covenant. But David didn't do that. In this instance, David loaded the Ark of the Covenant onto an ox cart. And as the ox were walking, one of them tripped and stumbled, and the cart began to sway. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God dwelt. The Shekinah glory resided within the Ark of the Covenant, and that's how God communed with his people Israel. And so as this cart is swaying back and forth, a man of David named Uzzah, reached up and steadied the Ark of the Covenant because he did not want it to fall over. And because God's holiness was present within the Ark of the Covenant, God struck down and killed Uzzah because Uzzah was a sinful man and he touched the Ark of the Covenant. Now, it would have been no different had anyone else touched the Ark of the Covenant. God was not singling out Uzzah in this instance. If David had touched the Ark of the Covenant, he would have been struck down. But Uzzah is the one who reached up to steady the ark, and he died because he touched that which was holy. And in other places, we see the same thing. When Isaiah is given the great vision of God's throne room, he immediately cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips." See, Isaiah understood that he was not fit to stand before the presence of God. And so when he realized where he was standing, where he was in this vision, he despaired for his life because he knew that he could be struck down for being a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. And Isaiah was the prophet of God. So if anyone could have had any reason to have confidence in standing before God, it would have been Isaiah. And yet he knows that he is not capable of standing before God without being destroyed. And God goes through a very elaborate ritual, purifying Isaiah so that he can stand in his presence in this vision. And we see the same reaction by the Apostle Peter before he was the Apostle Peter. In Luke 5, when Jesus performed the miracle of filling his nets with fish, he immediately recognizes that there is something unique and powerful about this man, Jesus. And he falls down, and what is the thing that he cites as being the difference between him and Jesus? He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, he understood that he was sinful and that he was not able to stand in the presence of someone who was holy and who was righteous. And yet, just a few years later, that same man, Peter, who had correctly identified himself as a sinner before God, would stand in the presence of Jesus while he was transfigured and while the first vision ever of his divine nature was given to mankind, to mortal men. For a moment, the cloak of his humanity was stripped away. And the disciples who were with him were given a view of what the divine nature of Jesus actually looked like. This is an amazingly important moment in the life and ministry of Jesus for a number of reasons. But it can often be overlooked in view of the cross and the tomb and the resurrection and the ascension. And yet at the same time, the transfiguration is connected to those events in a way that it is impossible to separate 
all of those major events from one another. They all depend on one another. And so it is important to understand that the transfiguration was a real event, that it actually happened. That Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, his inner core of disciples, the ones who were closest to him, who were the internal leadership group of the disciples, and he took them with him into a high mountain. And there before their eyes, his image changes. He changes from the human man that they've been walking with every single day into the image of the divine, into what he actually is from the perspective of divinity. He reveals himself as God, but also still connected with his humanity because he is not unrecognizable. He is transfigured, not completely changed. In other words, his image stays the same, but it also changes utterly at the same time. And then on top of it, two figures appear with him. Those figures of Moses and Elijah, and they're interacting with him. These are not mere ghosts. They are speaking with him. They are engaged in a dialogue with Jesus. And the disciples witness this interaction. The disciples are not confused or hallucinating or lost. They are cognizant of everything that is going on. They are witnessing it the same way that we would witness three people standing and talking to each other. But there is something uniquely different. Even Jesus' clothes have changed. They are now bright white. His face, which to this point in his life has looked exactly like every other human face, is suddenly shining like the sun. He is radiant with his divinity. He is exuding the light of his divine power. And the three disciples are the witnesses of this event. Now, three is very important because the three disciples witnessing this set this event as a verified event according to Jewish law. Two or three eyewitnesses established a matter legally. And so to have three witnesses to witness this event and record this event would have made it legal according to Jewish law. So when they testified that they had witnessed this event, it became unchallengeable as a real event. It had to be believed. Three eyewitnesses testifying to the same event was a big deal. But more than that, at some point, they told this story to the other disciples. Otherwise, we would not know about it today and it would not be recorded in Matthew and Luke's gospel because they were not there. Peter, James, and John were the ones who were present to witness this event. And the fact that the other disciples believed them and did not refute their story adds credible weight to the fact that they believed their story as truth. They ratified the story of these three eyewitnesses. And so three now becomes twelve. And then the early church heard the story and they also ratified the account of this event as truth. And so we have a large body of people, both eyewitnesses and secondhand witnesses, having heard from eyewitnesses, who have attested to this story as truth, and the church has held this event to be true throughout church history. No less true than the cross, or the grave, or the resurrection, or the ascension of Jesus Christ. The transfiguration was where, for a moment, the veil between earthly flesh and divine being was torn away, 
And Jesus, in all of his divinity, was revealed for his disciples so that they could see firsthand that he really was fully God and fully man. But it didn't end there. Just a few minutes ago, I talked about how people in the Old Testament reacted when they had an encounter with the divine. How they fell down in fear, or sometimes they were put into a sleep, or they were absolutely driven to despair because encountering God as mortal man means death, means destruction, because man is sinful and God is holy. And in order to remain holy, God has to destroy evil when he encounters it directly. And while the transfiguration was happening, while Jesus was speaking with Moses and Elijah, Peter started talking. And so we can see that Peter is not really frightened He might have been intrigued, he might have been amazed, but he doesn't seem to be frightened at this point. And then, all of a sudden, God's voice booms from the sky. And the disciples understood the words because they reported them in their accounts. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, when God spoke from the heavens, something unique happened the disciples fall down in terror. You see, there's a shift here. All of a sudden, the disciples realize that they're not dealing with Jesus just shining with light. They're dealing with the divine true God. They're dealing with something so much bigger than they realized before. All of a sudden, the terror of being in the presence of holiness overtakes them and they fall down on their faces. They are unable to speak, unable to move, unable to do anything other than fall down. Why? Because unholiness, sinfulness, cannot stand in the presence of divine perfection, divine holiness, and divine power. And so when God identifies his son, when God calls out his son for being divine, All of a sudden, it's not their master Jesus anymore, who they're just standing in front of. Now they're standing before the Son of God, the divine King of the cosmos, and they cannot stand any longer. They cannot remain before him without falling on their faces. And they would go on to tell this story after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. And the transfiguration of Jesus would serve as a strong evidence for the divinity of Jesus Christ, to show that he was who he said he was, that he was divine, that he was the Son of God, and that everything he taught, everything he did, was validated by the fact that he was both fully man and fully God. Because unless he was both of those things, none of his teaching, none of his work, none of his ministry means anything when it comes to satisfying the requirement of God to save sinners. So if Jesus' life is going to mean anything, if Jesus' death has any eternal worth, if there's any hope for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then the transfiguration is an absolute foundational piece of their faith because it presents strong evidence that Jesus was the Son of God and fully human, enabling him to be the perfect sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath and brought salvation to the entire world.
I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train youth ministry leaders to bring the gospel to young people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.